0: Yo, what's good, y'all? It's Chino.
1: And I'm Cass Marie.
0: And you're listening to Nods and Bops. Welcome.
1: We got a couple of topics for y'all today. We're starting with the Oscars recap. And then we're going to jump into talking about music ownership and masters and what that is, what it looks like. And then we're going to end it off with talking about Ariana Grande's album in 2009.
0: Thank you, next. Yep. Yep.
1: Finally. And that's what we got. So let's jump in with the Oscars. We've had. A really interesting Black History Month. We've had things like the R. Kelly arrest happening, the Jussie situation, even the (laughs) third trimester Thompson situation going down. But we've also had a lot of successes, right? We saw great things happen at the Oscars for people like Spike Lee and Regina King. So that was really nice to see. I'm going to let you go ahead. Tell me what you thought about the Oscars.
0: So... I mean, yo, the Oscars is long as fuck. Like it's <laughs> long as hell. So like I watched a little bit of it, but I ain't I ain't gonna lie to y'all and say I sat up there and watched the whole thing. Wasn't glued to the TV. Um I thought the red carpet was pretty interesting this year. Uh, a lot of high fashion per usual. Some people looked good. Some people looked mm, okay. We're not going to speak on them.
1: Spike Lee killed his outfit. yeah.
0: Spike Lee looked great in the purple with the with the button, in uh, the hat and the frames. Yeah, he was looking real good. Um, that was my favorite part of the Oscars, honestly. Seeing him and Samuel L. Jackson hug and him giving his speech him talking about how his grandmother saved her social security checks for 50 years to send him to Morehouse College um and then to put him through film school in New York like it it was pretty powerful it actually garnered a lot of talk and regular news outlets like um All the major publications on all the broadcast network channels, Fox, CNN, MSNBC, um, were talking about his speech and how Trump responded to it. So that was interesting. Um, I thought it was a great speech. I'm sure a lot of people thought it was a great speech. And so, um, yeah, like I said, that was my favorite part of the Oscars. I also really enjoyed Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga's performance at the piano. It's pretty powerful. But other than that, you know, regular Oscar, regular Oscars, you know, a lot of people, a lot of nice outfits, a lot of acceptance speeches. Again, shout out to Regina King. And um, yeah, that was my take on it.
1: I really liked seeing Black Panther come back a year later and pick up a couple of awards from the show because it was really, you know, well-deserved. Uh, they got costume design, they got original score. Um, They got production design, all three awards that really spoke to the movie. It was super visually appealing. And so for me, in those categories, I think it was, you know, well-deserved. And then again, like I said, I really liked seeing Spike Lee win for the adapted screenplay. And Regina King really, really touched me. Um, She won for supporting actress in the movie If Beale Street Could Talk. And it touched me because I believe it was the first episode we were having this conversation about Taraji P. Henson, right? And the role that she's played in pushing black women out into different roles in Hollywood. And I think Regina King, I think I said this then and I'm saying it now again, she's also been a big player when it comes to that. She has... Played in, I mean, so many roles from working. from yeah from the white girl movies like A Cinderella Story to the <laughs> funny you know black movies that we all love like Friday. So Regina King is is really treasured and I think that for all of us it was just beautiful to see her go up there in her white dress and and accept her award. Um, it was a touching moment for me and just proof that if you keep working at your craft you'll get to to the stages that you want. Again, I don't I don't wanna. Harp on this by saying that winning that uh, that Oscar validates her because I think in no way is that true, but it definitely does show like that she, you know, how great, yeah, she, how is. great she is. Yeah. To go beyond that, she also, just for this movie alone, she's won six awards. Um, so it's been six awards, and the year, you know, just started really. Right. Uh, so that just that's a testament to how well she performed in this in this movie. If Beale Street could talk, and then we had other great movies um, like Roma, who won for Cina, Cina, <laughs>
0: Cinematography.
1: Thank you. And then the director of that movie also won an award um, for Best Director. So that was pretty cool to see that happen. We both had a chance to look at the movie a little bit. I saw about a good good portion of it, and Chino watched it all the way through. And I really liked it. It was in black and white, which at first I thought wasn't going to hold my attention, being a kid that's... Um, well not a kid but a woman that grew up during the time of color tv i didn't (laughs) think it was gonna hold my attention but i actually think what it did for me was made me focus on the actual story so i wasn't distracted by the bright colors and everything else that was going on because they had a lot of scenes where a lot of shit was going on right like they were in markets or they were going to the movies and it was a bunch of people and a bunch of things going on but The whole time, I was always focused on either the characters that were talking or the main characters that were on the screen at the time. So I I think in in that sense, it deserved that award because the story shined through for that movie. Tell us about the movie a little bit.
0: I feel like the people making the movie made it black and white so that you focused less on less on the production value and more on the storyline. So I agree with you on that. Um, or maybe we're just coming to the same conclusion Because the black and white Yeah, you didn't really focus on You know, how nice stuff looked It was really well shot I really like that It was your typical To me, in my opinion It was not low budget But just low production value Like it was just scenes of Mexico People talking Conversations going back and forth And I remember when I was watching it I didn't really know too much about what was going on when it first started. And I clicked back on Netflix and read the description. And it was basically to tell the story of domestic workers during the 70s in Mexico. And as I was watching the movie, I, you know, you saw the political unrest. You saw what she, uh, the main character Cleo went through when she told the guy she was involved with that she was pregnant. We saw the scene Of her being in the hospital and how traumatic that was for her to birth a child that was dead her daughter and watch the doctors wrap it up Um, also the really powerful beach scene when the children almost drowned because of a current in the beach after their mother had told them hey don't go out far in the water Cleo can't swim and I couldn't really recognize the symbolism of that scene but it was really interesting after she saved the children how her employer the mom of the little kids was just like we love you cleo everyone was saying we love you cleo this that and the third and she admitted she didn't want the baby um i thought it was really really interesting when she traveled to go see the baby's father how he he completely dismissed her and i had to realize yeah, that happens now like you know there's plenty of fathers or sperm donors that walk away from their seed and they just they don't want anything to do with them they're focused on other things um and definitely seemed like an accident but after i saw that i just thought it was it was one of the lighter moments in the movie it was one of the lighter moments in the movie was at the beginning when they had their the little sex scene and he he took a shower rod <laughs> and started waving it around, butt-ass naked. That shit was funny as fuck. And so I was just like, I couldn't really take this nigga seriously after that. Um, Be- but, well, you
1: couldn't take him serious because you saw his full, like, yeah,
0: you saw his
1: penis. Yeah, like, yeah, it yeah. Was but
0: what he said after clear, that, like, yeah. Ugh.
1: I mean... Just waving around. That's not me. You know, It was was just out. Okay, you're not going to say... I'm going to say it was like softcore porn. And I was not expecting that they were going to show it in that much detail. It was crazy. But it was a funny scene. It was. And then it it quickly transitioned into an emotional one, which is what I think you were about to say. Yeah,
0: yeah. He was talking about, you know, why he started martial arts and how it saved his life and this, that, and the third. And that was interesting. Um, One thing I really liked about Roma, though, is... Reading the subtitles, it was really well written to me. The storyline is really intricate. Seeing the mom, you know, kiss her husband, knowing her husband's not coming back. He's leaving the family. And I remember there was this one moment that I had had written down, and she, she had gotten back from a night of being drunk on the town, and she walks up to Cleo, and she says, basically she says, we are all we got, you know, no matter what men say, we are all we got, and I thought that was really, really powerful, and um, I appreciated that scene for what it was, because it was an intimate moment, she was struggling trying to pull the car in, and I was just like, wow, and then as the story went on, she was right, Um, I also thought it was really interesting how the director caught this scene of the oldest boy ran off to be with his friends and I think they were looking at nude magazines and the boy's father you know is stumbling drunk with this other woman laughing or whatever and they run off and the boy's friend says hey isn't that your dad and the oldest boy gets immediately defensive and says no that's not him and tries to play it off but clearly we can see from the the movie, like as the as the audience member, yo, that's his dad, and it was really fucked up. And I was, I just thought about, you know, some of my friends I have back home who, you know, used to say their dads aren't shit and this, that, and the third. And I was like, damn, I got people in my family that are just like that. Like, yo, it's weird when you see your parents out and they don't recognize you. And I've never had to feel that way before. So, shout out to the director of the movie because he definitely. He definitely captured the scenes really well. I think the characters put in the movie were great. The main character, Cleo, did a great job of, you know, uh, relaying the story of a domestic worker. I think another powerful scene was when Cleo is talking to her baby's father and he basically calls her a, a fucking domestic worker. I was like, damn, that's fucked up. But it was also really ironic when they ran into the store uh, from the students protesting in the street or whatever, and his, his boys killed that guy in the store, I, I, find, I found it really ironic, the irony the director put in of him running into his baby mother in that store while her employer is trying to buy her a crib. It was so crazy. and I, The intricacies of the writing is what made it really great for me personally, and I'm so glad I watched it.
1: I forgot to say this earlier, but it also won for Best Foreign Film. It was in Spanish. They did have subtitles. But I think that even for someone that doesn't speak Spanish, it's a movie, like you keep saying, that you can find scenes in it that are relatable from them showing the life of a domestic worker in the 70s in Mexico. There were so many parallels between the life that... People lived here, you know, dr- during the times of the 60s and the 50s, where you had black women who were still taking care of white kids and white families, the parallel was still very much the same regardless of that language barrier.
0: You want to know it's crazy? So I studied abroad in Cape Town in 2015, like fall of 2015, from like August to December. And when I went to Cape Town, we stayed in this neighborhood called Clue And it was a German neighborhood. It was on the back of Signal Hill, right? And... I felt like I was back in Cape Town watching the movie as far as the way the house was set up, how it had a gate. Cape Town's a walled city. Like there aren't a whole bunch of cops and this, that, and the third. Like people have to hire private security. And that's how the houses are set up. It's like it's a gate and then you go into the gate, you know, and the the driveway is behind the gate and stuff. And then also seeing the living quarters of Cleo and her The other domestic worker, they had a room in the house I stayed in just like that where you walk upstairs and it's like in part of the second store. And I was like, yo, this is crazy. And just making that connection was it was really interesting. I've been to Central America as well and seeing some of the scenes of the way the city was set up i was like i didn't know that was a global thing mm-hmm. but when i when i did a community service project in honduras it was the same exact thing like we stayed in a resort that looked just like that like you have to go inside a gate it's it's walled off from the city you know to get to your car you got to exit the perimeter it's not like it was just it was just interesting seeing that and that's one reason why i really appreciate it the direction of the movie, the cinematography, because it felt like outside of America. And I haven't been everywhere. You know, I've only been to a few places, but I've seen that in, you know, I've seen that in the Caribbean. I've seen that in Central America. I saw that in El Salvador. I saw that in Cape Town. Um, And so what, like, it's just interesting. So it's funny how since it was shot in the 1970s, that same cinematography Like people are living in that right now Like mm-hmm. you think about Venezuela those people are going through the same thing right. That those people in the movie were going through Like civil unrest and With Maduro and Guan Guaido And stuff like that Like that's political unrest And it's the same thing now I also thought that it was interesting that It kind of spoke to current times Just for the simple fact that I didn't realize until watching stuff like narcos you know how intricate drug trafficking the political landscape south america mexico all of that is intertwined in u.s intervention and so i was just like this is a great movie just for the timing of it like it, it was so it's just a great movie I, I can't even say enough about it so
1: yeah it's definitely a. Like we keep saying, it deserved what it won. It deserved the categories that it won, and it deserved to be recognized because it was filmed brilliantly. It was written brilliantly. The actors that were in it did a great job. So the person that we keep referring to as Cleo, her name, her real name, is Yalitza Aparicio. and Yo, Shout
0: she, out to her. She did a great job.
1: I mean, phenomenal. She, she really killed it. But she actually faced um some backlash you know from from the community from the mexican community specifically uh because they wanted someone that wasn't that was more of a a white passing mexican kind of like how her boss in the movie was playing um the role that she you know the skin tone that she was and stuff even though i think the role that her boss was playing they were White people. I thought they were yeah, gringos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were gringos. Yeah, yeah. So they but were they white people. But Spanish. they spoke fluent sp- So that her kids were probably there for a long time or something like that. Well, their
0: their kids were young, uh-huh. and I don't know. You can't tell in the movie. I think yeah, they, they were white passing Mexicans. Even though it seemed like they were gringos when they had the family reunion, they seemed more like gringos because the maids called them gringos. Yeah. So. I don't know. I don't think it might I be, don't think they were I mean, Mexican. If you're white passing Mexican, wouldn't you be mixed with some white people that's closer up, right?
1: I mean mm. Yeah, maybe. That's what I would think because Mexican is. But I think, but I think that they were white just because if you listen to the last names that they were saying, like they had a scene when the mom sat the kids down and told the kids like, "Hey, your dad is gonna be in Quebec a little longer than we thought, so we're gonna spend Christmas here and we're gonna spend this here and Mm -hmm. this here." The names that she was saying, the last names, they were all very like, what you know, European European last names. So I think they they were meant to play. Um, white people, but yeah, Yalitza faced um, a lot of backlash, and you know there were a lot of nasty things that were said about her online. And I didn't when even the know movie, that. Yeah, when the Why? movie first Why, came though? out, this the same problem of you know colorism and um, racism and things like that. Um, so she faced a lot of backlash online. Like there were a lot of nasty comments about her appearance and things like that after the movie came out, but. All of that aside, though, I don't think that it could ever speak to what she brought to this movie. Yeah. I couldn't have, I couldn't even imagine. I'm trying to run through, and I, and I don't know many if I'm being frank, but I'm trying to run through like the more popular, like Latina actresses that I do know. And I can't think of anybody that would have did the job that she did and, and the, the soul I'd say you know, that she brought to the character right. um, it was a phenomenal acting and like she, it was well deserved, she was on the red carpet I think she brought her mom with her mm-hmm. and that was a really sweet moment I mean the Oscars, to be at the Oscars with your Mexican mother, this is very much was a groundbreaking moment right. for her right. um, and you know for her people and stuff so I mean, overall, overall, we're harping on the movie because it was so good, <laughs> yeah. and we really liked it. Um, and we just thought it, it was well-deserved.
0: Let's get into a little bit more of the Oscars. Um, Shout-out to Marsha Ali for winning um, Best Supporting Actor in Green Book. There was some controversy, I feel like, when they won. Uh, they won Best Movie, didn't they?
1: Yeah, there was controversy because people were just saying that it was one of those films, you know, when you have a film that centers a black character, um, and then it centers a black character within a particular period of time, like Green Book did. It's very easy if you're not a writer who can understand the full perspective of that time, a.k.a. if you're not a black writer. (laughs) um, It's very easy to lean on the side where you're making a movie that makes... White people comfortable, and so that was the white where the yeah 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 the white is a savior, little bit in the mood. Right, it is in the movie. So yeah, there was a lot of talk surrounding Spike it because Spike was of not that. happy about that at all. <laughs> a lot but, of people were
0: Well, in your opinion, what movie do you think should have won?
1: The other films in that category were Black Panther, Black Klansman, Bohemian Rap, Rhapsody, The Favorite, Roma, A Star Is Born, and Vice, which are all like. There's a pretty good lineup of movies, honestly. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know. I feel like I'm going to be super biased. But I think Roma was phenomenal, man. But I I also did really, really like Black Panther. That's a hard one for me. Which one I think should have won. I I don't think Green Book should have won, though. Uh, Just because, again, it's just one of those feel-good movies about a time that wasn't so feel-good. So, and I don't think... I want to be clear that I don't think that there's anything wrong with highlighting positivity, right? Anytime we talk about the black narrative in the United States, it doesn't, in my opinion, it doesn't always have to be a devastating, sad story. But what we shouldn't do is only paint it. In that little, um, yeah. In that little, you know, what space that I'm talking been. about, it was just one of those movies that it was, it was feel good, and it and it wasn't, it wasn't meant to to show any lesson. I guess their lesson was um, their message was, you know, friendship can solve anything. Friendship can heal racism. I think that's what they were trying I to. I like to push to back a little at. bit
0: on that. Okay. I don't think movies all have to have a message. I think they should say something. Mm-hmm. They don't all have to have a message. I don't I don't buy into that as a creative myself just not all art needs to be diagnosed and cut up It can mean what it means to you, right? It's the same with music So in my opinion, as far as like really great movies I feel like it should have came down to Bohemian Rhapsody and The Favorite um, And A Star Is Born Like I think that can be heavily debated among a lot of people um, And per- me personally, I, I'm, I'm kind of in between A Star Is Born and Bohemian Rhapsody the best picture but that's just me um again
1: yeah, shout I, out I to Marsha
0: ali i want to
1: i want to agree with you though and say that i also don't think that art needs to always have a message right i think that sometimes we can just create art because we want to create art and then i think sometimes we can just have art that's funny and light. There's lots of movies that I pull up sometimes or TV shows that I pull up sometimes because I want to just watch something that's quote unquote mindless, right? right? I think it's okay with creating art that's a little mindless and it's, it just kind of exists. What I'm saying is that if we're going to award a movie Best Picture, I think it should have brought more. I think it should have brought a message. I think it should have brought great graphics, great visuals, I think it should have brought great acting as a as a full package, it should have brought all of that. And Green Book, even though it was, you know, a good movie for what it was, to me it didn't measure up in full package. Among some of these other ones, like you mentioned, the favorite Um, for me, I'm going to I'm going to jump push Roma in there. I think those are movies that brought more of that full circle.
0: The last thing I want to bring up about the Oscars is apparently the viewership was up 12 percent this year. Um, There were almost 30 million viewers this year for the Oscars. and I think 2018 was a really good year for movies. In general, so I think more people were paying attention. I know for me personally, I went to the movies a lot last year. Um, It's just, it's a great pastime. And sometimes you want something where you can just, you know, sometimes you don't want to be in the house and watch TV, but you still want to be consuming something. Sometimes you don't want to be... At the bar, at the club, or at the day parties, they are so just like, man, I'm just gonna see a movie and just something chill. And so I had movie pass last year before they got reckless and tried to up the price and give you less, give you less for your dollar. And so yeah, the first six months, oh, we was rolling. Like I remember when Black Panther dropped like last February. Fam, them tickets were sold out for real. Like, and even though I had movie pass. It wasn't that easy to just You couldn't just go at 7 o'clock Like nah But um Yeah 2018 was a good year Was a good year for movies
1: That's interesting that the viewership was up though Because they had All that controversy With Kevin Hart And you know being the host And first he was the host, then he wasn't the host, and he was considering being the host again, and other celebrities were pushing him to take the role again, and eventually, you know, he just decided nah, he's out, and then the Oscars were just like, fuck it we're just not gonna have a host at all and a lot of people, you know said that it worked, it worked not having uh, a host, even though they had a few hiccups and little weird moments overall, not having a host was cool, and it, it Went through the three hour show and everybody got their awards and everybody got home, and that was that.
0: The after party was the after party. People said what they were going to say in their speeches, people said what they were going to say on the feelings afterwards. Everything was everything.
1: But we're going to take a little spin and jump into music and talking about music ownership and masters and all that good stuff because this is a music and film podcast. And me and Chino were having a conversation off mic about how the conversations around owning your masters have been becoming more and more frequent in the last couple years. Last year and even in the beginning half of this year, the last two months really, there's been a lot of conversations about owning your masters. And I think the general population, you know, those of us that aren't artists or Songwriters or involved in the music industry in any way, it's hard for us to even understand what that means. And so we decided in, on this episode, we want to talk a little bit about what that is, about what music ownership is and, and what it looks like. And I'm going to let Chino go ahead, and he's going to start us off by explaining to us what is a master.
0: So let's get into music and songs and how they're broken down so a lot of times when we hear artists they talk about owning their masters and i think a lot of people a lot of us people that don't make music like Cass said, we usually don't really know what they're talking about. So, we're just going to do a bit of an in depth analysis of exactly what's being talked about when people talk about masters, publishing, record labels, the that, and the Third. So, imagine a song, uh, a song is being broken into two parts. Basically, you have the original recording of the song, which is the master. And record labels usually own that portion. They own the original recording of the song and other other copies of that song will be pushed out into the world. So that's one part of it. Right. And then you have the publishing. The publishing is the actual song lyrics, the structure, the melodies. That is its own separate entity of the song.
1: Yeah, I think I think you got it. Yeah. So okay. it's it's two parts. It's the composition right. and then which is typically comes from like the songwriter and stuff. And then there's the master which typically is done by the recording artist. So the it's the first complete product. So, now that we kind of understand breaking up a song into two parts, right? The composition and the masters. Uh, and you break it down even further and you have, you put the actual people. Now we're not only talking about the song, we're talking about the people that created this. You have the recording artist and you have the songwriter. So, for the songwriter, if we're thinking about just the songwriter, the rights that they own, usually the copyrights, are the composition side of it. The lyrics, the melodies, that's the kind of rights that they'll have to it. Typically though, what happens is songwriters will pass that off to a third party, which is then called the publisher. And that's why it makes sense that the song is broken up into masters and publishers. We kind of got that, right? Then you jump over to the recording artist. So the recording artist, what they have the rights to is the particular recording that they've done of that composition, which is, again, the masters. But if you're not an independent artist, most record deals involved artists signing over the rights to their masters. It goes from one song that's broken up into two parts: the composition and the masters. To then the people who created this content, the songwriters and the performing artists, and then usually those two people again they take and they they pass off those rights that they have to a record label and publishing. Now some record labels might have publishing, you know, within and it's just a one entity thing, um, and some might not. Sometimes you have to contact multiple folks to get the masters and then multiple folks to get the publishing. The one thing to note, though, is that you can never get around publishing. You can never, ever get around publishing. You can get around not getting the master if you if you recreate it. If right? you redo the yeah, song, yeah. If you on redo, if you redo it, but you can't get past the publishing because the publishing is the lyrics, the structure, the composition, and so you always, always, if you're trying to, if you're trying to use, you know, somebody else's song.
0: Like Cass said, sometimes the record label and the publishing is separate, and sometimes they are not. In hip hop, we commonly refer to the record labels of like Def Jam. TDE was his top dog entertainment. Rock Nation, which is Jay-Z's new record label. Aftermath, which is under Dr. Dre. Shady Records is, uh, was founded by Eminem and Paul Rosenberg. These are some of the common record labels we hear. And we also hear about, you know, Atlantic. Um, 300 and quality control which isn't really a record label apparently it's a production company but they are operating as a record label so that's very important what i also found interesting in our research is that these small they're not small record labels they were renowned to the hip-hop community but they are usually within the major publishers that i just mentioned when i google searched the major record labels I found Warner Music Group, EMI, Sony Music, BMG, Universal Music Group and Polygram. And I just thought it was interesting how the record labels we commonly refer to aren't those, but those are publishers and record labels. So it's weird but it's just the web. It, honestly, it's a web. It's it's like you have these top Record labels, publishers at the top, and then under it is these smaller entities. And so the record labels will hold the master while the publishing will be with these major record labels and publishers. You follow me, Kev?
1: Yeah, don't. And I don't want our listeners to um, overwork their brains, right? Think of it as having a production company, right? And within the production company, you have different departments that work together to right. bring together a final exactly product. And is. that's exactly what it is. So you have these um, these kind of blended companies, and when you want to license a song, you go to these companies. Sometimes they're blended, sometimes they're not, and you get those rights. You get that license. And the way that it works, and most, most people don't recreate the masters. Like I said, you can get around the masters but you can't get around the publishing but most people don't recreate masters and so they have to try to get the copyright the license for both they have to get permission from the people that own the masters and from the people that own the publishing when somebody gets the permission to use the masters that's called a master use license when somebody gets permission from the publisher to use the composition and you know the song structure the lyrics and all that good stuff this that's called a synchronization license when you have people like for example Drake's song last year nice for what what <laughs> had a sample in it when you have songs that have samples in it you, gotta, uh, get that you gotta get that cleared and by you get the that record label
0: and the publisher. and the
1: publisher and you get what you those licenses are then called a master use license and a synchronization license. It sounds like a lot um, and it sounds complex and that's why we're doing this right We're like if we're a music podcast we want you guys to know what the hell your artists your favorites are going through um, behind the scenes.
0: And so the reason we're talking about this and the reason that we're trying to explain what artists are saying when they say you should own your masters like Jay-Z as Jay-Z was one of the people in our lifetime that said that a lot. Prince was also anti-record label and he wanted you to own your music because it's so important. That's how we as artists get paid because it's being used everywhere and we get paid each time it's being used. And so masters are important to artists because you have to get permission from them in order to use it as well as you have to pay them for that use that's why it's so important um, and that's it's also important on the publishing side because you have, in order for you to use it and play it publicly, whether that's at a club, whether that's in a commercial, whether that's in a, a, a video or a movie or whatever, you got to pay for that. And it's, it's just it's a money thing, you know, so who you clear it with is who's getting paid. That's why we're talking about this. And that's why. Our icons like Jay-Z and Prince were advocating for it because it would it would put the artists in a position that the record labels are in. The smaller record labels that are owned by the larger record labels slash publishers.
1: And something I want to clarify so that people can understand, right? You don't always just have songwriters and then performing artists. As we know, we have a lot of performing artists that play both roles. And so when you have somebody that plays both roles sustaining the rights of both roles of the publishing and the masters is a win-win for you
0: because that that person that owns the publishing which is the structure the melody the lyrics of the song as well as the person who performed the song they get paid Mm -hmm. and that's why it's so important a lot of the times though artists don't own that so they are the ones getting the short end of the stick even though their music might be popping and that's why we're having this conversation because we're on the side of creatives and artists and we want to see them get paid and so
1: owning your own content
0: owning your own content is important it's not about oh who you're signed with it's The only reason it matters is because it comes down to who gets paid and who does not.
1: So Chino mentioned the more iconic folks like Jay-Z and Prince that have publicly spoken out about owning your masters. But we have people that we know, you know, from early 2000s, later 2000s, who've also been having this conversation. We have Chris Brown, who recently signed an extension deal with his home um, record label, RCA Records. And in this extension deal, uh, he now owns... He's now going to own, you know, 100% of his masters. You have... um People like Sierra, whose husband, Russell Wilson, just purchased all of her masters. You have people like 21 Savage, who when he signed his deal in 2016 with Epic Records, a part of that deal was that he was gonna retain 100% ownership of his masters. You also have people like R&B singer SZA, who when she signed, again, with RCA through TDE, um, that allowed her to retain full ownership of her masters. So this isn't something that's you know just of the past and that artists now aren't picking it up it's a conversation and there's been more and more encouragement from artists to if they don't own their masters to start making the moves to own their masters and if you're a young artist coming up in the game one of your negotiations if you're not trying to go the independent route um is that you should negotiate to own your masters. An artist that recently spoke out about that was Meek Mill. He tweeted, he put out a series of tweets where he said, you know, all record labels should start letting artists have their ownerships or you'll be seen and viewed as a slave master. You know, making it even, like me and Chino were saying, for the people that's putting up the money to put this content out there, but also for the people that are creating the content. Uh, That's not, he he said in his tweet, is that even too much and it's not you know we don't think it's too much I I think it's purely fair that you give the creator and the person distributing this creation um the same amount it's a partnership
0: so we've been talking about in between the lines what are the advantages and disadvantages of being with a record label and owning your master and why the publishing is so important but let's let's get into it a little bit further so a lot of the times you have these kids like Meek Mill was referring to that are a part of the culture, extremely talented, know what's hot in the streets, know what people want to listen to. They want to be an artist. You know, they want to put out music in the world um, and for it to be consumed and enjoyed by, you know, everyone or just a certain set of people that they, they really, they really rock with or whatever like that, you know, artists, artists produce for their fans. And, They give you an advance on the money and then like you make that money back for them. And then there's making an exponential amount of money off of you because of the way the contract is set up. Usually when people sign a deal, they are required by contract to do a certain amount of projects under that label in order to recoup that advance money. And that's what's so important because it's it's economics and it's capitalism it's we're gonna take something that doesn't cost that much and we're gonna flip it a hundred times over and so the artist is seen as a commodity and they they do sell a product they sell their music they sell them they are a brand right Mm -hmm. and the label is using them as a as a commodity and an investment tool. Like, we'll give you this small amount of money so that we can make this X amount of money. And what we're saying is because you, the artist, Create the culture. Are powerful, extremely talented. You don't have to go that route. Honestly, the older I get, the more I realize if you if no one tells you or you don't do your research, you don't know. People Mm -hmm. don't know. There's a lot of blissfully ignorance out there. Me too. I don't know everything. What I do know, what I do believe in, and what I not pride myself on, but what I do want to know, I make sure that I do enough research and talk to enough people so that I'm well informed about that thing Mm -hmm. because I don't wanna come off as an expert in something or I don't want to be in a debate or an argument or be trying to do something and I'm being stifled from what I don't know. And that's important. So nods and bops is advocating for the artists here and that's why we're having this <laughs> combo and shit. 100%. Because we want to see we want to see artists get paid we want to see them make a lot of money some of the most talented people in the world doing what they do we want to see them get paid more because that opens up wealth not only does that open up wealth that like that that gets us closer to the wealth that we never had
1: hey so you know something chino i don't even think it's about making you more wealthy, I think it's about paying you for the work that you've done, right? right. And so like you were saying, these, a lot of times it, it might seem like, oh, you know, my favorite artist just signed a record deal and, you know, he's set. But like Chino said, this is this is basically a loan. That's
0: a business loan. Th-
1: this is, these are the numbers, right? These are typical, generalized numbers because a lot of times record deals are, you know, under wraps. For one hit single from an independent label, a smaller label, artist are usually signed from anywhere between 100K to 250K, right? That's from a smaller label. From a major label, like some of the ones that... Um, chino mentioned earlier for one hit single if you're gonna get signed off of one hit single those deals start from a million and they go up other factors that are being measured into that are things like your presence on social media and how relevant you are you get more and more money because you're automatically gonna draw in customers right but again this is a loan and this is something that you eventually have to pay back and if you are both the song, the main songwriter always of your content, the main creator of your content on both sides. Then you kind of lose a little bit, you know, On, a, on the next episode, we're going to talk about music distribution and on there we'll, we'll get a little bit in depth on what licensing and and all that good stuff look like and, and what record deals um, look like and how it's broken down even more. But to kind of generalize it a little bit, when you get into these contracts, you start to have clauses, right? Clauses that give these record labels discounts on how much money they should pay you for royalties. And that's where artists start losing a little bit. That's where songwriters- Not a little bit, a lot start, of bit. Start, yeah, yeah, a lot of bit, yeah. Because royalties
0: is how- artists make money. Your royalties and your tours and you being on the road and your sponsorships. And the content
1: of course selling it and all that, yeah.
0: Yeah, but I mean the content is created. The
1: long term money is what you The content
0: about. is created for the royalties. The content is created for the sponsorship the content is created so you can be a renowned artist so that you can have notoriety so that you can be on the charts so that you can be listened to this is going to be a longer discussion especially when we start talking about streaming and how that's another avenue of revenue.
1: That's what I was talking about. That's that's okay. what I was saying. So in the streaming part, when you start looking at these record deals and then you start looking at how they get discounts for how much royalty they have to give you. So for example, right, if you're signing a record deal, you might have a record label that says, all right, I want to have a 25% off the amount of royalties I have to pay you. So instead of paying you 75% of these royalties, I wanna get a 25% discount on that, right? And that, that difference, that 25% discount could be as big as a six-figure difference, and that's where the losing in the money starts. And that—that's those are those are the disadvantages that we're talking about. Now we're not shitting on record labels, and we're not shitting on record deals because there's not one type of record deal, right? Record deals from the standard one that that we're talking about to the 360 deals, to the single deals, to the licensing deals, to the profit splits. These are the EP deals, the anti-360 deals. These are all different types of negotiations and I think that what we're getting down to is that it's becoming so important especially when it comes to streaming because that's such a new avenue right we're moving away from the CDs and the, the vinyls and of, yeah. yeah yeah we're moving more into the, the digitalized um, and the technological we've, already moved, we've moved into, into it. it but, but now we're moving back. into it in the sense of where we're creating deals based on them so yeah. when we're moving towards that I think it's now become a thing where artists especially up and coming artists really need to seek out mentors and really need to sit down and do their do their um research before being blinded by hey i'll give you a five million dollar record deal before sitting down and signing that really going through that record deal and making sure there aren't clauses in there that are gonna eventually have these record deals um these record labels making more money off of you than the little shit that they're throwing at you At that fucking signing table.
0: Prime example, and I just thought of this. In Solange's album, A Seat at the Table, she has Master P doing some of the voice work on it, right? And he's talking about how he was offered a certain amount of money. And he goes into that story talking with his brother and how his brother was like, oh, you should have took the money. And he was like, think about if they're offering me this amount of money, I got to be worth so much more than that And that's what we're talking about I gotta one, make
1: them Six times that shit
0: what, One of the reasons I really fuck With Young Dolph Is because he turned down 20 million Because he knew Yo I'm already I'm already touching a bag I'm already up eight figures on these people so why would i do that same with gucci man i also fuck with the fact that like some of our favorite artists like j cole he starts his own record label because he knows that's that's another bag that's where the bag is at you owning you owning other people's work and being able to make money off of those people's work like Cass has said We're not shitting on record labels because we have to see them for what they are. They're a machine. They help you get your music out. They provide you with the resources to make better music a lot of the time.
1: Because it is hard. It is hard. As an artist to do that. It's expensive. It's It's expensive. expensive Yo, yo,
0: we're doing a fucking podcast. This this shit shit is is expensive. expensive. (laughs) You feel me? So imagine (laughs) an artist that got to pay for everything. But... When we talking about the little, when we talking <laughs> it's about true when we talk about percentages and all the different deals and stuff, you gotta think about it like this. If you go to a gas station, we're always looking for the cheapest gas, right? Some might be $2.30, some places might be $2.50 or $2.25. You don't think that matters as much, but when you go back and look. Yo, that's a lot of money. So when we talk about artists, when we talk about artists and what they're not getting, you got to think, damn, that's a lot of money they're losing out. Six figures to millions of dollars. And that's what this fight has been about since black people have started making music. You create all this, you create these cultural relics that remind people of time, history. You create this art that you, you can't create nest- the
1: whole fucking culture. Period. You create
0: this thing that can't be touched but is felt by billions of people. And not only on top of that, you don't own it. And You that's don't what-
1: own it and you can't decide oh, I want to go, um, this is one of the disadvantages again. You can't decide shit like, oh, let me just go work with this artist just because I want to work with them. You can't just release what you or, want. Yeah, you, you can You know,
0: when you sign these deals, they have ownership over you. It's the same as you being a regular worker going into your 9 to 5. When you work for somebody, you got to follow their rules. It's the same when, like, you growing up in your parents' house, you know, us as black people, our parents were like, look, you don't pay no bills here. This is my house. You gotta do what we say. You under the, my yeah, roof? It's, it's my sa- rules. It's the same thing. If you're not an owner, you're a worker. And if you're a worker, you usually don't have a lot of power. And we could get into how unions are disappearing and this that and third. It's the same, it's the same thing across multiple industries. But we really wanted to bring this conversation to you just Just on the simple strength of, hey man, we support the creatives, we support the artists. So We're going to get into more of that on episode five. We're going to keep it moving. So So
1: on, well, I just want to say, so on episode five, we're actually, so this episode we talked about music ownership, right? On episode five, we're going to talk about music distribution and we're actually going to have someone to come on here. She's really fucking dope. Um, she does record servicing. So she's going to come on here and help us kind of break that down because that's where it gets tedious and complex. And that's where the money, money, money talk comes in. But like Chino, said, we're going to go ahead and jump into uh, our album reviews. So Chino already kind of gave us his, you know, the songs that he really liked on Ariana Grande's Thank You Next album that came out February 8th. So I'm going to go ahead and jump in with mine, but he can jump in later if he wants and, you know, remind us of the ones that he liked. So I really, really liked... Um, imagine and I liked imagine since the time it came out as a single it's just a beautiful song to me and I love the way she hits those those notes I mean her voice I've never once in my life said to myself I want to go to our Ariana Grande concert. And this last year, Ariana Grande has changed my mind, and a bitch might drop some money on a concert yeah, ticket. I told you, I told you. I told she you. might. She might. You might. You know? That
0: intro sets the yeah, it bar set, it really high. You like, God. Damn. Like, and you
1: know what break up with your boyfriend actually set the tone song. to set the tone to close it out. Yeah. So I think the way that she structured the album and the way that she laid it out really worked for her. I really like the song NASA. I think it's a beautiful too. song. I, like I think NASA. she killed it. I
0: like needy though as you well. You did? It's a very, it's for me hearing that it was very reflective
1: tell me about a guy's perspective cuz a lot of this a lot of the music on her album is, is from a woman's perspective yeah. yeah yeah yeah
0: yeah but music music connects us all and so when but i mean
1: from like what 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 about needy like i like related i like to you?
0: for me personally i like the way it sounds i like how you know she's been in some high profile relationships and she's saying She's she's talking about why they haven't worked, what has worked, what she needs as a woman, right? And I thought it was really ref- I thought it was reflective and it, it opened up. We got a little bit closer to Ariana through that song. And I, I just liked I just liked the song a lot. Like
1: I like ghosting too. It was, was well cool.
0: produced. Yeah. The middle, the bottom middle of the album, like I found myself, I used to think that I was just listening to it, but it's really, really cohesive. That's what makes it such a great album, cause it doesn't dip at all. Mm-hmm. But the songs that stick out to me were Imagine, Needy, NASA. Um, I really like Seven Rings I did on too. the album. Seven Rings sounds good. All right. Um, but and then I Thank like you. Thank You Next. Thank <laughs> You Next is is cool. I'm not a woman, so I can't really relate to that as much. But um, Break Up with Your Girlfriend, I'm Bored that's just a good song you know i don't want to have to do like a lyrical breakdown of the songs but like needy like i said it's really reflective song and also as a human being we all have needs and wants in a relationship and i was like shit we all we all like a certain amount of attention or a certain type of attention from our significant other and she was touching on that that's why i appreciated the song you know not Because I relate directly to it But I was just like It's a good song It sounds great It's produced great Again, shout out to um, Brown was the producer on that But the writers of the song were Ariana, Victoria Monette uh, Taylor Parks And Tommy Brown Or no, yeah Tommy Brown Who also helped produce the song Um, It's only two It's two minutes and 51 seconds And it's just a good song Like after hearing Imagine and hearing that it just—it was like, damn! It was like a one-two combo. That's mm-hmm. why I really liked it.
1: You gotta give the girl her credit. I mean, and you know, not only is the album itself great, the numbers definitely show that. She claimed spots one, two, and three on the Billboard 100, and she is the first to—the uh, first person to achieve that since the Beatles did in 1964. Number one on the Billboard was um, Seven Rings," of course. Right. Number two came. Chino's, one of Chino's favorite, Breakup With Your Girlfriend, and number three was one of my favorites, Thank You, Next. So you gotta give the girl her credit.
0: You know how you like Ghostin? I'm reading on Wikipedia, it says, Ghostin contains an unaccredited sample of 2009. 2009 was Mac Miller's fifth studio album. Yo, I didn't even fucking know that. I, You know, RIP to Mac Miller, but... That's crazy that you you like that song because I, I like that song too like it's, it's a good song but it's not it's not one of my favorites but you know she was very saddened about the loss of Mac Miller yeah. I think a lot of us are a part of the culture we were because he was a great dude and a great artist mm-hmm. um, we we're excited to see him go on tour but it didn't happen um, overdose addiction is a serious problem in America it's a public health crisis uh, check on your strong friends enough of the sad shit anyways so um moving on to overall it was a good album yeah it was a good album it it was a good album and it uh, was personal it was crazy
1: it was storytelling which you know when we started it was but it didn't
0: feel like a story to me it just felt like a lot of it felt like a lot of reflective ariana grande focused songs like it was less poppy to me mm-hmm. personally because i didn't really listen to sweetener like that i only listened to it once don't please don't throw rocks at me or anything <laughs> like that i listened to it once or twice i was like oh this is good it's not for me though as a guy yeah. you know as a heterosexual guy and this that and the third like it just it just wasn't for me mm-hmm. so i was like all right but it's good though like this album here you know how beyonce dropped lemonade with the visual and shit and mm-hmm. I kinda wanna see a visual album with this. Yeah, I don't know if she's working on that now, cool. but that'd be great. I like the Seven Rings video. It did play off of Pretty Girls Like Trap Music with Two Chains. It did have the flow of Soldier Boy and Prince and Ikea. All of that. Shout out to them. They um, did a
1: remix of Seven Rings. There's yeah, a remix out I, with Two Chains. Yeah, I know. I heard other. it. It's
0: straight. Yeah. Um,
1: let me. So let me say when I say that it's like, have you ever read those books where it's like not a consistent chapter book? It's like. Short stories, but the same the same person. I've read a lot of books like that because I just lo- I love that type of structure. Whereas like the same person is telling the story and it's a story about their life, but it's little stories about their life. It's not like a chronological yeah, yeah, order. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that's not like what, a Good
0: Kid, Mad City type of yeah, album. But it's just that's like what she's what telling Ariana little. Felt yeah, like. yeah, yeah. It was yeah. great, and that's why I liked it a lot. Like I was surprised. I was actually really excited to hear the album because. She's been she's been making some moves like she's she's been bubbling you know she's been making a little bit of moves she's been making some noise especially the last few All right. months yeah she's so.
1: about to have y'all bumping Ariana Grande <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but let's talk about 2009 because you almost bit my fucking head off when I said that I hadn't listened to it yet yo she's and such
0: I'm... a behind music we have four new albums to talk about that
1: Whatever. we're, we're going to kind
0: of talk about but not really she don't do the whole drop. listen me. Yo, I, I gotta listen to the music, man. I got to. Man. I listen
1: to, but I'd be lic- at
0: work when all the shit drop at twelve. I might as well listen to it. I like
1: to like sit in my room, sometimes do some stuff that's illegal, and you know, Spark like, like listen to, <laughs> listen to the album. So I like to give myself time. Like I like to plan it out so I could sit and listen to it. And I'm you know a storytelling like person.
0: You know what I like to do? I like to get in my car, turn the bass up ever so slightly. And if it's a warm day, put the windows down. I hate you. All right. Just ride around the city. Listen, whenever I'm going somewhere that's 30 minutes, I put on a new album. Because it's one Mark. thing to hear it in your AirPods, it's another to listen to it in the car and feel that studio feel. Could you imagine being in the studio for some of your favorite albums and hearing it on the speakers there? You'd be like, oh, shit, that's what it's supposed to sound like. And a lot of times it doesn't sound like that because of the mixing and the mastering or whatever. And, you know, different quality music equipment relays different sound. That's why I love listening to it in the car whenever I'm going told y'all sometimes I lift drive on the side a little side hustle or whatever Mm -hmm. I'm always listening to music so that's how that's why I'm such a a music junkie as I call it but 2009 is that shit what's some of your favorite tracks
1: some of my favorite tracks and I'm gonna get into why so I really like the opener garage talk um it felt like uh a rock beat to me a little bit um, like a, a little bit of a rock and roll um influence. Just a that's just a touch. I don't know if you got that, but I definitely got that. I didn't really like and those I, songs I that song. I found much, my like yeah. I liked I liked it for the beat. Mm-hmm. I was a real fan of the beat. That's the thing. I'm a fan of storytelling and music. I, I was saying that earlier. I'm a fan of storytelling. And what I I think people when they hear storytelling, they only think lyrics, right? But the sound also tells a story i have a real love for instrumental music um because it can also tell a story so i liked garage talk because i think the beat told its own story i really like ben's boys because i like ben's boys Um, my
0: favorite one of my favorites
1: Again, the overlay of the beat and the sounds. One specific sound that I liked in there is that it sounded at certain points like they were touching a wind chime, just like a slight touch of yeah. a wind chime, a slight touch of a wind chime. And that shit kept me looped into the song the whole time. Like I kept waiting for that sound to come back up. Every time it came back up, I got hyper shit. Like, <laughs> yeah, 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 I fuck with this. Yeah. And then I really, I think probably my favorite one was, I'm debating, but I think my favorite one was The Life. I imagine, every time I play that song, I imagine myself sitting in a car late night with the sunroof open, driving to the club, going to Opium, and Atlanta City lights just surrounding me. I, I mean, they're not from Atlanta or anything. I'm saying Atlanta because we Everybody done
0: been through Atlanta. If yeah, you're yeah. in your 20s, so you probably I- done been through Atlanta. You know what it feel like when you're in the city and the city buzzing because everything's going on there's so many spots the party and shit that's what it feels like yeah that's definitely
1: the song i'm gonna play like the smooth shit like when i want to feel like a bad bitch but a smooth g bitch that's the song i'm gonna play so
0: the life was one of my favorite songs like when i was listening to the album the first time through ben's boys stuck out a lot but the life was when i was like yeah they're getting into their shit Shout out to Cardo, who produced the beat. It was written by Wiz Khalifa, Currency, and it says two more. Oh, it was written by Wiz Khalifa, Currency, Cardo, and Sledrin. Um, So shout out to them. I really like The Life. It, it's it's a good song. Um, but my favorite song is Eastside, which was produced by Cardo. I love the beat. I love how it starts off. Currency starts getting in this shit as soon as the beat comes on. I love it. I listen to it every day. Um, I really found myself... I like songs three through seven. So three starts off with Ben's Boys featuring Ty Dolla Sign. Again, shout out to Ty Dolla Sign. I love, I, I, I really like that beat. Like Cass say, the overlay, I like that. That Life, Um, I really enjoyed that song too. Find a Way is, I don't know what it is, but these songs right back to back to back it was like it was just a whole bunch of combo hits for i fucking
1: me. love when artists get the structure of some shit yeah yeah right. yeah.
0: it made me i felt like i was drowning in the music like i was i wasn't really feeling it when it first came on like garage talk was okay 10 piece i kind of like but i was like i'm still not there yet but then when we got into ben's boys i was like oh shit and then it just kept going on and on um I really like Getting Loose featuring Problem. Oh, that, yes. Yeah, a little, little bit. Yeah, Loose. I don't want to... Yo, that let shit. Me,
1: let me say something about that song, right? I really, really... And don't kill me, y'all. Like, you know what I'm saying? Don't kill me. But I'm not super, super, super familiar with Currency. I wouldn't call myself a big Currency fan. But the way Currency carried me through that fucking song, Getting Loose, like his, his... Flow carried me. And I think Wiz Khalifa also did the same. But I'm used to that with Wiz Khalifa. He's been, as somebody that's from the Caribbean, sometimes. Y'all be talking a little fast for me in the States And I don't really be understand what the fuck y'all talking about <laughs> But with Khalifa's music I've always loved it because He knows how to emphasize Every word that he's saying without losing His flow and a lot of artists Don't know how to do that and he's very Very good at that so them combined On the song getting loose Plus the beat really just carried Me through the whole thing
0: yeah, little, little big. Yeah, little, yeah, yeah that's my That's my shit
1: so yeah we really both We both enjoyed that album I'm glad That I listened to it I told Chino I was gonna listen to it He just wanted to talk some shit So we added a new segment to Nods and Bops At the end of every episode We're going to have um, A little part where we just tell you guys about upcoming or or newly released um, bops in music and film and that could be anything from singles to albums to EPs to mixtapes and then films can be anything from you know documentaries to comedies to whatever the case short films um, long whatever long films all of that all of that good stuff and so I'm gonna let Chino go ahead and kick us off and tell us about some albums that are already out and that are dropping and filming
0: on february 22nd offset dropped father of four Kelani dropped while we wait gonna drop dripper drown two Lil pump dropped harvard dropout two chains new project highly anticipated can't wait to see that comes out march 1st and the film we're highlighting is tyler perry's amadea's family funeral that drops march 1st so be on the lookout for that film definitely be on the lookout for two chains And we're gonna sign off. Cass, you got anything you you wanna say to our listeners before we get out of here?
1: We're very thankful for everyone that takes their sweet ass time and tunes in and listens to us talk and, you know, giggle and talk some real shit, get into our little arguments with each other, whatever the case may be. We're super thankful. This is Nods and Bobs. We're gonna keep it going. I'm Cass Marie. I'm Chino. We're out.
0: Hey, we're out.